building a foundation for tomorrow's naval aviators. The Bell 407GXI is the next-generation advanced helicopter training system, offering exceptional value and proven reliability. See the Bell 407GXI in action at Navy League's Sea Air Space, booth 2623. Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me is my usual co-host, Proceedings Editor-in-Chief Bill Hamlet. Hello, Bill. Hey, Ward. How's it going? It's going great. What do we got in the news? Uh, so this week in the news, as uh, reported by uh, our USNI news reporters, the Coast Guard uh, released its Arctic strategy, its new Arctic strategy. Uh, so that's kind of exciting. And uh, also yesterday in Coast Guard news, um, they awarded the initial contract for their new icebreaker, also called a polar class cutter, uh, to VT Halter Marine. Uh, they plan to build those ships down in uh uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi. Uh, so Pascagoula is quite a hotbed yeah, of, of shipbuilding because yeah, that's also where is. LCS is is built. Correct, correct. So, uh, so that's big news, and you know that that whole decision, contract decision, was put on hold back in the December January timeframe with the government shutdown that impacted Department of Homeland Security and the Coast Guard. But they're back on track, and uh, as we know from uh, this year's uh, winter news. Uh, the, the missions of the two uh, Coast Guard um, icebreakers that are currently, you know, heavy icebreakers that, that operate. One went down to the South Pole, uh, Antarctica. Other went up and did some operations north of, uh, of Alaska. And, uh, yeah, they are old, old ships and, and definitely in need of, uh, of replacement. So that's good news for the Coast Guard. Uh, also wanted to just mention uh, one more time that uh, the Naval Institute's annual meeting will be tomorrow, 25 April, at CSIS, downtown Washington, at uh, 1616 Rhode Island Avenue. It is open to the public. It's a great event. Starts at 4 o'clock. We'll have CEO um, uh, message, you know, sort of state of the Institute followed by uh, presentations to the authors of the year and the general prize essay contest winners, the midshipman and cadet essay contest winners, uh, followed by the Honorable Ellen Lord, Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition, uh, who will give an address talking about uh, probably F-35 and all the other big acquisition programs that are going on in, uh, in, in DOD. So should be a great event, followed by uh, open bar and uh, free heavy uh, hors d'oeuvres. So it's always a terrific event, great networking, chance to uh, meet up with old shipmates and, and meet a whole bunch of our authors, both the press and uh, proceedings in naval history, and you know just rub elbows with people like you know, Admiral Stavridis and Bob Work and Ellen Lord. And you know, it's, it's just a great event. It, and it is, I think you, what you mentioned, I think, is the, the best part, which is the opportunity to put a face to uh, the names. Uh, you know, uh, you a lot of times we we know people because they're contributors, but we never really get to meet them right. in face person. Face. So yeah. when you actually meet them, yep. uh, it's a lot of fun. It is. Um, so, yeah, gr- great, great opportunity and great, always a, a great event. And you mentioned Ellen Lord and JSF and our listeners or, or our loyal listeners certainly know a lot about JSF as a function of our last episode where we sat down with Admiral Winter for what was almost an hour. I think it's the longest podcast episode we've ever had. Yeah, that um, was so great. That was good stuff as well. Yep. And one last thing before we get to our guest, uh, I wanted to mention that, uh, you know, we've been steadily upping our game online over the last couple of years. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, our new website, our redesigned website went live at the end of February. And then just last week, we have uh, put some energy into our LinkedIn site. So if our listeners are on LinkedIn, find the Naval Institute, like us on LinkedIn, start following us. We're posting content there, particularly things, leadership, uh, some of our um, our events, which are great networking kinds of things. Uh, Stuff pertaining to the business world, the business of defense. Exactly, right. So yeah. we're, we're sort of segmenting some of our uh, content and – uh, you know, specifically for the LinkedIn audience and, uh, and it's already starting to, you know, uh, reap some benefits and we're seeing sort of, you know, people going there just in a week, uh, reading some of our content and, uh, you know, it's kind of exciting. So if you, if you're on LinkedIn, like the LinkedIn, find the Naval Institute there and, uh, like us and start following us. And, uh, that's all for the news. So let's get to our guest. Uh, so last week, about a week ago today, we, uh, published, uh, uh, an article online exclusive uh, by Lieutenant Commander Allison Maruka. She joins us in the uh, Studio C today. Uh, she's a surface warfare officer who's now a reservist and a uh, public affairs officer. And she wrote an article called Child Care is a Fleet Problem. So, Allison, thanks for making the trip out to Annapolis and uh, joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Thrilled yeah. to be here. So, so um, you start off your article by saying, if you want to kickstart a conversation among Navy families, bring up the topic of child care. What kind of conversation does that engender? Oh, you know, it's everyone's going to air their their struggles and their challenges of finding the right child care fit for them. Uh, whether it's, you know, the local CDC doesn't offer the hours that match the their working hours, or if it's the cost of civilian providers or the cost of having to have an au pair because that's the best fit for their family. And just, uh, you know, we've just PCS'd and we don't know the landscape. And so trying to find the, the right child care fit for them, the, the challenges of dual active duty, the challenges of uh, active duty reserve families, and, and and even those with an active duty or, or reserve member and a civilian working spouse. Um, and so it uh, can spiral into a very long conversation just kind of discussing those challenges. Yeah. So uh, how many kids do you have? And, and uh, tell us a little bit about your own your your personal family sure. struggle with this issue. Sure. So we are a dual mill family. My husband is an active duty SWO and I'm a reservist, uh, like you said, at SWO turn public affairs. We, um, I transitioned off of active duty to the reserve component before having kids, uh, partly because I knew that um, having a family was in our short term, um, on the short term horizon for us. Uh, we had our first son, um, who is four, Connor, uh, when we were stationed overseas in Yokosuka, Japan, uh, and my husband was on his first department head tour. And then we had our daughter, who is two, um, in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, when he was on his second department head tour. Um, and just cha- juggling the challenges that come with small children. Uh, and at the time, my husband was either underway for workups or the training cycle or deployments um, during those those periods. I mean, they're still, they're still young now, so we're not quite out of the, the weeds, but, um, just juggling his need to, to, to be, uh, you know, on the ship and with those schedule and and those long hours with, um, really intense needs for childcare in order to support my drill weekends, my ATs, or my ability to go on long-term orders is, been a constant struggle, uh, for us. And, you know, childcare has taken, uh, uh, form in many different ways over the course of the four years that we've now had both of them in our family. So how, how have you tackled that challenge? 
So when we were stationed overseas, um, that was kind of a unique situation. I actually flew my mom to Japan uh, to watch our son um, because he was still a baby and uh, and I had to um, be down on the waterfront for two and a half weeks, uh, backfilling someone who was on leave. And, you know, no sm- small cost there for uh, flying my mom out to Japan. It was a huge relief, though, because she stayed with us and, you know, therefore I didn't have to be constrained by working hours or anything like that. Um, and so for that longer period, that provided us the stability to, to, for me to be able to work because my husband was gone. Um, you know, Yakuska based ships are in and out, very unreliable schedules, um, gone all the time. Um, and then for short term drill requirements that I did, <coughs> excuse me, there, um, I would just find, a another spouse on base who could take him in for a couple, uh, you know, for a day or two or however long, um, um, I needed coverage. So, for. so was that your option absent your mom making the trip over to Japan? Right. Because find another spouse, right? Because the CDC, you know, um, was always, uh, never a sure, uh, resource that I could rely on because, um, it was all based on availability and the times that I would have orders, the orders would be cut too short in advance for me to be able to um, wait the required time that they needed. You know, we, oh, we have a six to eight week wait list. Well, I go on orders next week. That's not going to work. So yeah. backup is finding another spouse on base who can um, who can watch him. And at the time, you know, you just make it work. You don't really think when you're in the thick of it and you don't have many options. I just got to do what I got to do. And now looking back, though, that probably wasn't the smartest choice because I'm pretty sure I put my son in a, a an unlicensed child care provider home. Was it fine? I'm sure it was. He's fine. I'm, you know, but but that shouldn't have been the position that I was put in. And I know that many other parents find themselves in those positions um, as well. Fast forward to um, we moved to Norfolk, thinking, uh, moved back stateside, not thinking that um, being stateside, I wouldn't have quite so many challenges or hurdles to overcome. Um, that wasn't necessarily the case. So this time my in-laws had to come down um, and they would drive down from Richmond to Norfolk to watch my son on drill weekends because, again, my husband was on a ship and constantly gone or, you know, we just couldn't count on that schedule to support him being present to watch um, our kids. And then once our daughter was born, I had drill requirements that I had to fulfill and AT and stuff like that. And so I had to hire a nanny um, to watch her while my son was at childcare. So then I'm also paying childcare bills on top of a nanny to watch the the infant. Um, and it, that was all encompassing of my drill pay. Started, yeah. That, <laughs> you know, so you so, were drilling to pay for childcare. Right. And yeah. so it just, it, it sucked up time and money and, 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 and you pay for the benefit to serve in many instances, um, whether it's your AT or your drill weekend. Yeah. And, and those challenges are, you know, representative of the challenges that any, any military family, in, in many cases, in, in any uh, dual income uh, U.S. family, mm-hmm. you know, faces, right? Um, when I posted your article on our Facebook page, I, I used the, the quote, uh, that had long been, um, you know, uh, mentioned in my career, which is that the Navy recruits individuals but retains families, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because, you know, most everybody comes in, you're young, you're 18, 19, 20, whatever, and, and uh, you know, you're an individual, and then 
by the time your first uh, enlistment is up or your second enlistment or your officer commitment is up, uh, you know, many of us are married. Many of us are thinking of having kids. And, and, you know, then you start to juggle all these competing things. And your article, you also brought in, and, and I think a lot of our listeners are probably unaware of this. Uh, I know about it because I was married to a reservist for quite some time. Um, but the, the reserve uh, um, commitment these days, the reserve uh, career is incredibly challenging because you have this thing called the apply board and you have people, you know, state living in Norfolk and going from a Norfolk reserve unit and then to get a, a, a pay billet, they may have to, you know, they may have to go on their own dime and travel to San Diego or travel right. to, uh, to Maine or travel to Massachusetts or mm-hmm. to Great Lakes. And, and so suddenly you're spending a lot of your, almost all of your drill pay, your drill money, uh, to, to travel, to go work, to, you know, to, to get the time in service so that someday in the future you'll get a, a reserve retirement, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, your, your point about, Paying almost all your drill money to pay for childcare so that you could drill—that that happens a lot in the reserves. Right, and and for so many people um, who've been around a while, the mentality is like, "Well, I've made it work, so you should too." And I think, like you said, if we want to continue to ra- uh, retain families, we have to change the narrative, and we have to have supportive systems and supportive leadership who understand the the challenges and hurdles that a reserve parent whether it's a mom or a dad um overcomes to show up at drill on a saturday morning and this and the sacrifice and you know serving um in the military is a sacrifice that we make but but what we are overcoming to to perform that service um just when it comes to you know day-to-day drills and and those kind of everyday requirements um and and we need people to understand um, what what those are. So at our most recent uh, CSAS, Naval Institute Maritime Security Dialogue, we had the, the vice chief. And one of the questions to Admiral Moran was about the most recent 06 promotion mm-hmm. board. And they the questioner pointed out that in terms of the number of ensigns we have who are female, it's in, you know, 20 maybe low, high teens, low, low 20%, mm-hmm. but only 8% of the 06 selects were female. Mm-hmm. And the questioner asked the CNO to identify the disparity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't quite have an answer, um, but w- what's your sense? Uh, some of the things are obvious, but I guess it's a two-part question. What's your sense of why, and then what could the Navy do about it in the context of a career and War fighting, right? Um, and I read that article last week, and I'm glad you brought it up because I think we have to show our women uh, sailors, uh, enlisted and officer alike, that you have the space and the support to be able to pursue professional and personal things within the w- within your naval career. Whether that means choosing to have a family, you don't have to by all means, but if you want to, it's there, and don't think that you you can't have a family if you want to have a naval career, um, or if it's other things that you want to pursue professionally, um, not being so tied down to uh, a very narrow career path, um, you know, having the width and the breadth to be able to pursue things um, during your service. So, you so, know. So what, what are the unintended roadblocks that exist? What, you know, the, the penalty that currently 
might exist that prevents female sailors from from doing that yeah i think um besides child care what, what are some of the other i mean obviously the, the child care things you've identified are substantial right i think and i mean this this very is is aligned very closely but i think you know not having a role model or a mentor one one or two steps ahead of you showing you that these are these are the challenges or these are the things that i'm pursuing this is how we can work together to to for you to do them or you can learn from my lessons when i was an ensign i didn't have i had one female senior officer and she ended up getting fired and that was it that was my those were my female role models who who showed me that i could have a career as a naval officer and pursue other things that i wanted to do um and I think by 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 showing young women um, and having strong role models, I think that is one of the the biggest roadblocks that we can overcome. One, uh, developing uh, a culture that is inclusive to working parents is going to overcome that roadblock as well. You know, we can have all the policies in place, the the parental leave policies and the lactation policies and things that support young, or not young parents, but parents with young children. Um, But if we don't have a culture that supports them and we don't have leadership that supports them, then those policies are just words on paper. And and I think that's going to be one of the biggest things. Yeah. So your your paper also has a couple of good quotes. Uh, one Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, Russ Smith, testified to Congress just two months ago about numerous quality of life uh, issues that Navy families face, and he brought to light the lack of accessibility to affordable and quality childcare, calling it a family issue that affects critical readiness. And then uh, at that Maritime Security Dialogue last week, Admiral Moran. Uh, he mentioned the fact that, you know, right now the nation is having a 3.7% unemployment rate, which is usually terrible for military uh, recruiting and retention, right? Usually when the economy is great, people are getting out of the military because they have lots of opportunities on the outside. And if the economy is good uh, or bad, you know, then the military is a place where we're always hiring regardless of, uh, of the, you know, how the state of the economy. And so we tend to do better in those times. But right now, uh, retention is good uh, and unemployment is low. And he said, you know, we're trying to figure out exactly why. Uh, but one of the things that I know that the Navy leadership is, is thinking about are some of these things that lower the barrier to being a parent, uh, right, to being a dual, uh, a, a dual serving family or, you know, Two, two careers with kids, um, making child care a little bit more accessible, Mick Pond asking Congress to, hey, we need some more funding for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, uh, you know, some things like the career intermission program, right, mm-hmm. where you can take two or three years off and sort of pause your career, uh, you know, for a sabbatical if there's something you want to, you know, particularly do, uh, you know, go climb the Himalayas or, you know, have a child and be able to take a, a year or two to do that and then come back into your career uh, at, uh, you know, into a year group that was a year or two behind you, right, mm-hmm. without having a, um, you know, a career penalty. And those things are just sort of starting for the Navy. The Coast Guard has had that program uh, for, for over 20 years now, mm-hmm. and it, it's been particularly successful, we know from some of our Coast Guard officers serving on the editorial board who've talked about this. Um, so, you know, a, a good start, but more needed. What, what are your thoughts on that? I would say absolutely. Um, and I think um, the, the ability to have more room for flexibility um, and to kind of on-ramp or off-ramp your career based on personal or professional um, 
goals or aspirations and the understanding that, so if I want to take this, the career intermission program, um, and, and, and I want to have a kid, well, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out in that, in that three year time frame, And so having the flexibility to be able to continue to pursue, um, that if that, if you want to, you know, just understanding that life doesn't always work out the way that we want it to, but but being able to navigate down the path to, to still pursue a career in the Navy and these other things that you want um, to, to do. And I think a lot of it is it doesn't have to be family-based. And, and that's one of the big things that I've, I want to stress, too, is that by, by allowing um, more room for flexibility and support for people to, to just pursue their personal or professional goals, whether, that, whether or not that is a family, is going to, I think, create a more more understanding and flexible Navy that supports our people and, and, and retains them and, and helps them uh, reach the success that they want to. And some, some of the things that the old guard um, have thrown up as uh, reasons you can't do this, um, I think are, are, what's the word, are superfluous to the fact that we're just we're talking about here. So we'll talk about and being an aviator. I know it was very, it was a hot button issue to talk about flight hours. And and so if if you and I are squadron mates, we're both lieutenants mm-hmm. in our first tour. You get married, um, you 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 choose to to have a, a child, so you have to go away. Um, and 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 then you decide that you you want to rear that child during the 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 you know infant and and beyond era mm-hmm. era <laughs> the, those years, years or those months uh-huh. even right um and meanwhile i'm even on my shore duty i'm i'm flying the airplane and i'm getting better and i'm you know getting experience and then mm-hmm. you come back and you want parity at mm-hmm. that point right so this is where we used to go look if if you're going to create some art art of you know, these i'm just i'm being intentionally narrow-minded mm-hmm. right so bear with me okay um so if, if i'm if i say as as an old school kind of guy um who's not open to this idea because of these artificial or these legacy this legacy paradigm right um i i would say hey you you show up with now you've got 200 250 less flight hours than I do. And the world has improved t- tactically in the time you were gone. Mm-hmm. And so there's no way that you can have professional parity at, at that point, right? It's not my opinion. It's just a fact. But I, but what I think is buried in there is the Navy hasn't helped with respect to the reality that our female shipmates are going to do. Many of them will have the choice to have a family, Right. And so we were equal at the point that you made that decision. Mm -hmm. And then because of the current way we do business, we were, by some measure, not all measures, but by some measure, not equal when you got on the Mm on-ramp, right? So with respect to SWOs, what what do you think about that sort of of paradigm? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot that we can do to – to kind of help moms or even people who are taking that career intermission program because it's open to men and women um, and and when they off-ramp and when they want to on-ramp and providing them the avenues to ramp back up and to – 
you know, I'm not an aviator, so I'm, I don't know the specifics, but to to reach that level of tactical proficiency um, to be able to to be competitive again with um, their their classmates or their colleagues. Um, you know, it's been eight years since I've been a, a SWO, um, but the you know it's all about timing at what point in your career are you going to roll back to sea and um you know there are things that we can I, I think and you know there are things in the civilian world that companies do to to help parents who are either on ramping or off ramping to prepare them to come back to be competitive um and and it, I don't think that just because you want to take time off to either have a family or you want to, you know, kind of scale things back to pursue something a little bit different, it shouldn't mean that you're penalized professionally. So Um, here's a good question from a guy on Facebook mm -hmm. Live. Um, Just, I won't say his name, but he says, don't have kids if you're on a deployable unit. Be responsible, right? So I, I, I don't think he's trying to be... Right. misogynist no um but w- what in terms because you just mentioned timing mm-hmm. right so what do you think about that that again assuming you can plan when you get pregnant right right and you know some people have the the benefit and and the ability to plan and others not so much but it should it, it shouldn't be a penalty to a woman and that's part of the changing the culture and changing the mindset i think that yeah but you know what he's saying like yeah. so you and i are on the uss Always sales, right? Right, and and you're fully OD qualified, and you know how to do coming alongside, and you you're a good TAO, mm-hmm. and you're you're a great shipmate. You're fun to go on liberty with, and all of a sudden you get pregnant, and you're going away, right? And we're about to go on cruise, right? So, um, that that would cause some dissension in the ranks, mm-hmm. de facto. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- what? What about that? I think, though, that we can be supportive of the women who are in that position and say, congratulations, we'll be here when you get back. And that woman comes back from maternity leave. And and I guarantee you that if she leaves with the support of her shipmates that she had before she got pregnant, then she's going to come back ready to go and to get back on the, the watch bill and to get back into her job because her shipmates support her. And so there are times, yes, and we all know the stereotypes who get pregnant before a ship goes on deployment or they become, uh, you know, it's it, it's seen as a hindrance to it. Because the now you have a job and a, a body that you need um, filled before you go out to sea or whatever. But we need to change the stigma from the negativity of pregnancy because timing doesn't always work out. Right. And yeah, you can plan to try and not get pregnant when you're in a deployable position, but sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And we just need to be supportive and say congratulations and let her move on and be ready to receive her when she comes back. So is the Navy currently in that position? You know, I think that's probably a unit by unit um, uh, kind of uh, situation. And I, I I can't speak. I know that in my reserve units, um, when I've... But I mean, it's, it's terms in terms of how the Bureau responds, in terms of how... You're talking about the infrastructure around, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, suddenly you have a child. So these are the child care. Let's assume you don't have in-laws who can drive down from Richmond. Mm-hmm. You don't have a mom who can fly to Japan. Right. right? You know, I, I think what I'm hearing is the, the Navy is, is not really accepting the idea that some shipmates are going to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and in the face of that, would like to both be a good parent and deal with the reality of having a child, but also continue their career. 
You know, right. and we still haven't gotten our arms around yeah. this reality. No, and I, I would agree with that. You know, just some of the the, the bureaucratic uh, things that you have to, you know, the, the fact that you're removed from an operational deployable unit um, by your 20 weeks is that. Um, so what is that? What's the that rule? Well, you're not you're not um, you're not supposed to be on a ship past 20 weeks oh, okay. of pregnancy. Yeah. And so, you know, that, is that under the auspices of health of the mother or what, right. what's that all about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. Um, but you could be removed sooner than that based on um, the, the the commanding officer. Okay. Um, and so... So he could remove you if he wanted as soon as he finds out you're pregnant? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, for the health of the mother and the baby and just, you know, the, the industrial nature of the environment that you're in. Um, right. Okay. And the liability that you could have, you know, if you're... Whatever it is that you're doing. Um the you know moving some removing someone uh hastily from a command um uh and just kind of the 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 programs that we have in place i would say they are much better now than when i um had my kids in terms of just being supportive and um the the lactation uh support in providing lactation um spaces for for nursing moms and the parental leave policies that are in place now um and, and, you know, I'm a reservist and, and there are different policies in place for active and reserve. And, you know, life is very different for a reserve member than it is for an active duty member. Um, but, yeah, I would say um, generally we haven't reached that level of a culture that is um, supportive that once a shipmate finds out she's going to be pregnant or even, you know, we need to, even though it's not physically going to have the same effects on the father, um, we need to be supportive of both mom and dad um, to be able to have that professional environment that they feel supportive as a new parent, that they can be both a good parent and a good sailor. So, yeah. So uh, back uh, for a minute to the specifically to the childcare issue. And, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting. We had uh, Master Chief Petty Officer Smith uh, talking about to call to Congress, you know, talking about the lack of accessibility of affordable, quality child care. And then uh, you also mentioned that uh, that the CNO had a Facebook all hands call mm-hmm. where he said, uh, and this gets back to sort of that legacy attitude. Right. And then he corrected himself. But it, it does. We're, we're going through a changing uh, attitude, I think, in the in the military. You know, we have. Guys our age and and even a little younger, but came came up in that age where, you know, the the, the dad had the career in the navy, uh, and the mom stayed home with the kids and took care of the kids, and and so the dad you know could have that thriving career and could be deployable and go from you know sea duty to sea duty, uh, gone on a moment's notice, you know backfill somebody who you know that the exo of this ship fell out because he had a heart attack and so suddenly i'm you know you had all that right and it was sort of this accepted norm and now you know so cno said well child care is an issue that affects all our female service members and female officers and then what the cno meant to say what he meant to say right (laughs) and so uh, you know a couple days later on his facebook page he apologized and said it's not a women's issue, but a human issue, right? Mm-hmm. And so this this it's a family issue. It's a family right? issue. Right. It's a, this Back gets, to your original quote, right? Right. You know, we we retain uh, families. We retain right. families, and so. Uh, but I, I think you know we we had on the podcast about a year ago an incredibly talented young officer, uh, Andrea Howard, right? And she had graduated from the Naval Academy, went was a Marshall Scholar in Oxford, and now is a submariner. She just uh, won another one of our essay contests, the Emerging and Disruptive Technologies contest. She's on a Boomer uh, SSP 
ESPN out of uh, Washington State, out of Bremerton. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I just was thinking of her as we're having this conversation. It, it, this is an incredibly bright, talented officer who we want to keep in the Navy, right? And at some point, you know, she may want to get married and have a family. She may want to have children. And so, you know, we, the, the Navy's got to have some flexibility where she has the ability to, you know, take that off ramp or take that career intermission, have children, uh, and then come back in. And and maybe it's not, you know, back to your, the old example that was used was, hey, you know, if you suddenly get out of the cockpit and go have kids and you can't come back at the same level of, of um, you know, professionalism, right? And the same level- Well, of- as the training track currently right. creates. But back to Allison's right. point, if you modify- the rag syllabus yeah. where you you get something extra if you're if you're doing a you know post maternity on ramp right then then maybe we could mute that yeah you know or, you could mitigate it or or you say uh, and this is what I think that intermission program does is so you know let's say somebody graduates you know, has graduated from the Naval Academy class of 2015 right and and uh, and you know at, at some point you know 2020 four or five years a couple of years from now decides hey, I want an off ramp to do this that or the other thing right and then they come back in they don't come back with their class of 2015 they come back with the class of 2017 or the 2018 right. right and so they haven't lost time relative to their new peers their new peers are not their original classmates their new peers yeah that's an interesting right? way and to look so at it and so you're yeah. rolling you're rolling in and so you haven't lost time with them you've lost time with your original but you're no longer competing yeah. with your original classmates and your 20 year you know retirement point if you will is no longer 2035 it's 2037 or 2038 and so yeah. you know you've you've given some flexibility into the system and i yeah, think that's what i think that's what some of the i know mick pon has talked to me personally about you know some of these we, we've got to build this flexibility so that people have the opportunity to do some things along the way with their Navy career that they really want to do that you can't wait until you're in your 40s to do after your career's done. So, Allie, what, what was your commissioning source? I did ROTC. Uh, where? At the, uh, it was through Carnegie Mellon University. Okay. So do, do what did you have female classmates mm-hmm. at, at, at Carnegie Mellon? Mm-hmm. Um what what has happened to them? Just and just in general terms, are they still in? Did they did they by and large get out? Um, I would say by and large, the majority served um, their commissioning requirement and then left uh, because they got married and, and not, had kids, or no, just they not didn't necessarily. Like it or just they wanted to pursue other right, things. Right, they want um, a couple went off and pursued other um, career options outside of the Navy. Um, a, a handful of us have stayed in the reserves. Um, a couple have gotten out and had had families. So I'd say it kind of runs the gamut. Um, so obviously, getting in or staying out is a is a personal decision, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so, what, what were? Why did you choose to go in the reserves? Uh, both for family reasons and for professional reasons. I uh, knew I wanted to. Pr- pursue things outside of the surface world and in the civilian world. My background is in communications and PR and writing. So I knew I wanted to work in that um, um, arena. And um, and I knew that having a family or getting married and having a family was on our agenda, it, you know, in the short term. And so I knew or we, my husband and I 
talked. We weren't married at the time yet, but um, we knew that he wanted to be the one who wanted to stay active duty, and he he was in it to win it, and he want, he'll be in till retirement. And I knew I wanted to have the flexibility that the reserves offered to pursue things professionally and be able to support our family. So is there anything the Navy could have done that could have kept you on active duty with respect to the thesis of your article? I'm sure, uh, thinking back then, um, if I would have known more about the career intermission program, maybe. Um, and at the time, and to kind of go back to your point that the, the CIP program for active duty sailors allows you to pursue things not just to have a family like right. you know it gives you the flexibility it, it, for a long time when I, I when I uh, was a young divo it was oh that's when you want to if you want to get out and have kids and then you want to come back in and I wasn't at that point yet and so it just kind of it wasn't even something that I considered but if if it would have been stressed that it's for men and women that it's to take time to have a family and to or to excuse me to pursue things professionally or just go climb Mount Everest or get a master's degree that you don't want to, you know, use any of the Navy's avenues for, yeah, whatever it is that you want to do, um, that that option is there for you. And and maybe in hindsight, if I would have realized that, um, I wouldn't have left active duty. But honestly, I'm very... I'm very happy with what I've done in the reserves, and it's it's worked for us uh, as a family, not with its own sets without its own sets of challenges and hurdles, and being an active reserve family with young children, having moved around, been overseas, and still maintained a pretty operational career for me, and obviously with my husband as well. So, so are you hearing anything anecdotally about CIP now that it's they, people think it's working, or it's it's just uh, um, you know not working. What, what what's your sense of its effectiveness? I think it has been it has been used for um, effectively for kind of both of those those sides of things. I mean, I'm not I don't know a, a whole whole lot about it, but I do know women who've gotten out and and had children. And if, but if you think about it, if you say I want to have two kids before I go back to sea, having two kids in three years is a lot to put on your body physically, emotionally, mentally. And so it it's good if you want to have one, you know, so if you start going down the, well, I'm going to plan my my family life alongside what the Navy has. And, and if you say, oh, well, you have CIP. Well, I mean, it, it, it is an avenue to pursue, but it's not going to be the end to or the means to an end if you want to have a couple of kids and you think this is your opportunity. So it it it's a it, it can be a, a sticky situation, but I do know men who've also taken it to pursue um you know other professional things. They've gone off and gotten graduate degrees or certifications or done um other things that they've wanted to do too. So yeah, one, I have one last question about uh childcare centers and you mentioned because you talk a lot about the uh, being a reservist and you know the specific uh you know and and I think for a lot of our listeners uh, and readers, uh, unknown challenges of the of a reserve career. But um, you mentioned that uh, child development centers, CDCs on Navy bases, generally are not open on weekends. Yeah, a lot of them. You know, in some of the fleet concentration areas, um, they have twenty four hour CDCs that do accommodate. You know, parents who have duty nights and kind of those long shift schedules, mm. um, but those are really hard to get into. And then a lot of the more day to day Monday through Friday ones aren't open on the weekends. And so, yeah, this 
a lot of the CDC structure doesn't support the the needs of a drilling reservist because they don't have weekend hours or because they don't have the capacity to take it, you know, and, and that's understandable. And I don't think it's unre I don't think parents are saying like, well, the Navy needs to provide me childcare resolution or solutions to so that I can do my job. No, I don't think anybody's asking that. What we want But that wouldn't be an unfair ask. Right? No, I mean, no. At the same time, you want me to like, show up for yeah, work, yeah. then I need to have childcare. No, you're right, but I think what we what we need more of is awareness of the challenge but also um access to resources. So like you said, you know, with the the nature of how the reserves are organized and how you can live in San Diego but be drilling in in DC, um, you know, having um, a ready list of childcare resources that are available. So if you're that parent that has to travel with your kids, here are some things that we know of in the area. I'm not, you know, and I would never expect the, and I don't think civilian employers would do this either, to pay for my childcare. And so I'm ready. It, it, it is a burden of a, a financial burden by, by absolutely, but I will pay for my kids to be in care while I drill. Um, and so if I have to be that person that is traveling in somewhere that I'm not familiar with, then having access to those resources or that information or having partnerships with local child care facilities to see if they can open their doors on the weekend for your drilling reservist. And, you know, and the big thing that my husband and I always talk about when we have this conversation with um, our colleagues, our, our Navy colleagues, is that we're a dual 04 family. We can financially make it work. It's, I mean, it's not going to be easy, but it's not going to put a whole lot of burden on us. But if we were dual E5s, or even if we're dual E2s, like childcare for two kids is is an exorbitant cost. And so if if we are having these challenges and we're raising this awareness as, as dual 04s, like, We've got to do better so that our junior officers and our junior sailors are taken care of and that this challenge has a, a, a resolution or just a greater awareness of it so that we can retain those families and we can um, and just provide them more support so that they can achieve what they want in the Navy. Yeah. That's a great way to wrap it up. So <laughs> we've been talking to Lieutenant Commander Allison Maruka, U.S. Navy Reserve, uh, about her article that we published online uh, last week. It's called Child Care is a Fleet Problem. You can find it on the usni.org homepage. Uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll, we'll be back again next week. And in the meantime, as I mentioned earlier, the Naval Institute annual meeting tomorrow night at CSIS in downtown Washington on Rhode Island Avenue. Uh, if you can make it, it is open to the public, and we'd love to see you there. So uh, until next week, victory begins at the Naval Institute. Have a great week. The Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by the Bell 407 GXI, a helicopter bringing advanced training technology, best value in life cycle sustainability to the next generation of naval aviators. See the Bell 407 GXI in action at Navy League Sea Air Space, booth 2623.